Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gitt and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Hi, this is Leslie Gist, and we have a wonderful uh, activist, lobbyist um, on the line. She is a historian out of Canada. Her name is Miss Irene Moore Davis, and I will let her introduce herself to you right now. Thank you. Well, thank you, Leslie. My name is Irene Morgan Davis. I'm from Windsor, Ontario, on the traditional territories of the three fire confederacies of First Nations, the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi. And we recognize the longstanding presence of the Huron-Wendat peoples here as well. I am a descendant of the Shad family, a family of abolitionists who moved to Canada from the U.S. in the 1850s. I am also the daughter of a sixth-generation Underground Railroad descendant and an Afro-Caribbean immigrant. I am a film uh, documentary producer, a historian, an educator, an author, and I'm so pleased to be here. Welcome, Donna. It is my extreme pleasure to be able to interview you on the wonderful show. So thank you, Donna, for being with us. How are you doing? Oh, yes. (laughs) Thrilled to be on. Thank you. Great. So, I want to formally introduce Donna Jean Maine. Donna Jean Maine is a person from my hometown of Windsor, Ontario, but she is also just an incredible, incredible artist. And Donna has had a lengthy career in creating and overseeing uh, the installation of large-scale public art projects, especially murals, and is also a tremendous sculptor who has had many uh, sculptural projects as well. We are most excited around here that Donna Jean Main has just had her incredible sculpture of Mary Ann Shad Carey unveiled on May 12th at the University of Windsor. And so my questions will be primarily about that. So Donna, welcome. I would Thank love you. To, I would love to hear you tell us about how it was that you uh, came upon the story of Marianne Shad Carey and found inspiration in her story. Well, initially, I was um, as a uh, on contract with the City of Windsor to develop um, mural projects with uh, you know certain uh, business improvement associations throughout the area. Um, it was jobs creation. 
projects that I was on. So every year I was uh, on contract as art director to hire um, local artists. Um, Usually we'd get about 10 to 12 a year. And we would develop certain themes throughout different um, areas of the city. One in particular was uh, multicultural themed murals in the Wyandotte Town Centre. And um, we were asked to uh, do one in particular that commemorated black history in Windsor and um, feature those who who made a difference. Um, and there was a selection committee that chose six, uh, throughout the community that chose six people to feature, and Marianne was one of them. And I hadn't heard of her until then. And, um, you know, having learned about her and her story, it was like, uh, this was in 2004. And I thought, wow, this it was such an inspiration. She was featured in the mural on Pitt Street. Um, sorry, it was Wyandotte and McDougal Avenue in Windsor called Reaching Out. And um, it it was such an inspirational story. I always felt since then that there should be more um you know people should i shouldn't have waited till i was in my my 40s to learn about her right so i always felt she deserved more recognition than she's been getting so true so i mean you've kind of made a transition in your career from primarily a muralist to a sculptor Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting story in itself. What gave you the idea that you would like to create a sculpture about Marianne Shad Cherry specifically? Well, like I said, her story is inspiring. Um, I always felt Windsor in particular, um, I, I believed until I proposed the project, there wasn't any tribute to a woman um, in Windsor's historical narrative. And, you know, men have been, uh, you know, their achievements have been honored, and rightfully so, but uh, we're missing half half of our history by not, you know, um, looking at women's con- uh, contributions to the area. And <laughs> internationally, like, you know, I always felt she planted the seeds for what we consider our ideals as Canadians, of um, equality and, um, you know, social justice. And uh, it was just a no-brainer as far as I was concerned that she should be the first to be honoured as such in a, in a bronze tribute. And what a tribute it is. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of finding the appropriate um, sponsor or, or patron for this tribute, and how did it end up at the University of Windsor? Okay, so that actually took longer to find sponsorship <laughs> than the actual process of making the sculpture. Um, I initially uh, brought the idea to the City of Windsor Arts, Cultural, and Heritage Fund and received a small grant of $2,000 to do research, produce um, a conceptual sketch of the full figure, and to um, 
and to create a clay study bust of her. And um, in doing so, um, this, the research started with, you know, going to various museums um, and historical uh, societies and contacting you, Irene. Um, that was one of the, the key points was to track down historians and family uh, descendants and um, and just, you know, get approval was critical uh, for the project. Um, and, you know, I even contacted a Quaker historian in Toronto to find out, you know, as she, because she was educated in Quaker schools, um, I wanted to... And, and there's only the single, very overexposed photo of her uh, face that exists I needed to know what what she would wear, you know, based on, you know, all all, all you can really see is the collar, and um, and I thought, you know, I need to know more about what she would wear, so um, I contacted them to to find out, you know, what would be appropriate, uh, and uh, you know, they they basically told me, uh, and I was so thrilled when I visited a couple of the museums. One of the um volunteers had period costume and said you know I could pose for you and I was like are you serious really <laughs> like yes I will take you up on that and uh so she was uh you know very generous to do that for me um and I got I got some great poses of her holding a copy of the provincial freeman and from that I you know brought fans and things like that, because I knew kind of what I wanted. I wanted her to look like she was walking against the wind, and the wind had to be a force um, that she was advancing against, and it was to symbolize um, the discrimination she was facing at the time. Incredible. And then you actually met with some Shad family members. Can you tell us why that was important? Um, Well, yes. Um, like I said, one was to get uh, approval and input. Um, very important to me. Um, and I uh, wanted to get measurements, uh, like bone structure, and meet the meet meet uh, the descendants in person. So I took um, everything from, uh, you know, widths of the eyes and the from the bridge of the nose to the chin and the hairline to the bottom of the nose and things like that, like, you know, because uh, there there were several um, descendants um, you that have very similar features as far as I'm concerned. I, I can see a resemblance. Um, and I, I uh, actually went on FaceTime or Facebook and uh, kind of studied features of uh, posts that, you know, the descendants had had and <laughs> basically creeped a lot of people out, but uh, uh, including you, Irene, I used some of your photos um, for references and uh, I basically used those as uh, inspirational um, and, you know, pictures to inform my studies of her. Wonderful. So Donna, this wonderful, wonderful monument has finally been installed.
installed, and it's in a very specific place at the University of Windsor. I mean, for those who don't know, the University of Windsor has a number of properties around our city, but one very specific place was chosen. Can you tell us about why that place was chosen for this sculpture and, and how you're feeling about that location? Well, originally, when I met with um, the university, they were looking to do something because they had um, beautiful imagery and uh, tributes on their main campus uh, on the west end of the city um, that were for the uh, First Nations people. And I thought, and and they were looking to do something for uh you know, to commemorate the Underground Railroad as well. And so when I met with them, it was actually really good timing. It had taken me about a year to find um, to find somebody and to, you know, that would want to sponsor this project. And when we met, that was their goal. They wanted something on the main campus. And um, however, <laughs> um, my husband was... Uh, a reporter for about 20 years for the Windsor Star and um they had purchased the, the university had purchased the building uh the old building of the former site of the Windsor Star downtown and changed it into their social work building and they've named it Windsor Hall and it just seems so appropriate that she would be there on the corner of a former paper um, site and uh, having been, you know, a publisher, first female publisher in Canada and, you know, fighting for social justice at the social work building and a teacher, you know, you know, something that, um, like her belief in education uh, as the road to freedom um it kind of went in line with the university's whole mission statement that they wanted to leave the world a better place through education and i thought this is so appropriate and so perfect for her and when i suggested it they went for it and i was so happy because i thought yes this is this corner is just you know bare and uh a perfect location for uh something and and also i i felt it was important that the whole public could access her and wouldn't have to go right onto the campus and on the west end you know it was accessible to everybody on that corner so um anybody can drive by and stop and see it and for those who don't know our city Windsor Ontario it is a pretty accessible location i mean it's a major downtown street um, it certainly uh, sees a lot of traffic of all kinds, people who are heading to the local art gallery, people who are heading to the uh, aquatic center and so on, uh, and to the bus station will have mm-hmm. an opportunity to go by that statue. So so pleased that it's in such an accessible spot and not behind a fence or deep on a campus where exactly. only faculty can see it, right? Yes. How how are you feeling about this project now that it's all over? I feel like it was such a privilege to have worked on it and to, um, 
you know, draw attention to this very important figure in our society. Uh, you know, like, you know, I, I felt the university was wonderful in the way they um, backed the project, and um, and I felt that the uh, it was received really well. Like the the comments and the uh, people, the interest it generated, um, I felt was really good. Um, there's also a book that she um, uh, the, was featured in, a new one, that is part of uh, kids' uh, core knowledge. It's called, um, and it, it's called The Blessings of Liberty, Voices for Social Justice and Equal Rights in America. I don't know if you mentioned that. But no. they actually uh, included her, the sketch, the conceptual sketch of her that I had, um and it's um they they have uh excerpts from uh one of her speeches so the the, the whole book is about these amazing people who have fought for social justice and um and you know right out of their mouths they've recorded uh you know things for students and it's it's done in an, in a, a beautiful way that kids can um read about you know like and uh talks about uh why it's important and where it came from and um it's lovely it's a lovely book <laughs> i personally am so excited that you know people who are going on black history tours will have another place to stop and see something that is physical and tangible and right there in front of them um for so many people who come to our city searching for black history there's a ton of black history here it was it was one of the most significant settlements for the underground railroad uh freedom seekers it was one of the most significant bases of operations for anti-slavery activists who came to canada and it's had a great role to play in ending uh, Canadian forms of racial segregation as well. But mm-hmm. there's not a lot for people to see in person because a lot of our buildings have been torn down. A lot of, you know, the, the historic places are no longer here. Um, it's so important that, you know, that there are these things that people can actually see with the eye and touch with their hands and so on. Right. Um, have, yeah. Um the other cool thing, and I don't know if you're aware of it, is um, Google Maps now has this statue uh, labeled as an historic uh, monument. <laughs> oh, and, that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That's it went up pretty quickly, and, and, and anybody can contribute photos to it. So That's extraordinary. Well, that will really help. That will help people to find it and mm-hmm. to really make use of it. How do you see a sculpture like this uh, playing a role in in kids' education around these issues? Do you see that? Do you see it as a sort of place where a teacher could bring some students to talk about both art and history, for example? Absolutely, I think this is a, just a jumping off point. You know, like uh, she's going to be turning 200 next year. Um, I think more attention is going to be paid to her. It'll be able. People will be able to kind of actually come and. Um, have a place to meet, um, especially in our downtown Windsor. There's so many things to do and see, and um, like you said, there's uh, other other places to visit. Um, 
regarding the black narrative in Windsor. Um, so it, it's uh, it's a good starting place, and um, hopefully, you know, it, it leaves the door open for maybe students to produce QR codes for it uh, or to scan it and have it linked to other things on the website eventually, um, like productions and stories about her. Uh, it's It's a good starting place for sure. You alluded earlier in this interview to the fact that there have been typically so many sculptures or monuments about, you know, a very specific and narrow demographic of people that literally in the city of Windsor, there weren't even any monuments to women previously, um, Mm -hmm. let alone a woman of African descent. Why is it important um, for representation to to be considered when we're looking at works of public art? Like, why does it matter that we should have more uh, diverse perspectives represented in those public work, public artworks? Well, if you're only paying attention to half the population, you're missing a lot, right? Like, if you're only paying attention to the uh, achievements done by men in our historical narrative, you're you're missing half of the story. It's so vital, like, you know, to know these contributions. I mean, um, the fact that she was able to do as much as she did in an era when women had no voice, um, you know, she was created. And that, maybe that's another reason I was so inspired by her, because of her creativity like you know like you had to be a creative problem solver to get your message heard um when she couldn't even attend some of the abolitionist meetings right like she had to send her brother in um and report back to her what you know what went on because of her gender so like um even you know signing her newspaper with her initials um her she was able to overcome all of these obstacles in a very creative way and i think um her brilliance in doing so is what really attracted me to this uh her per, like her as a historical figure you know like the i i think all of the women you know all most women that i know can relate to some kind of uh, obstacle that they've had to overcome because of their gender, you know, like uh, I wasn't initially hired for a few jobs because of my gender, you know, like I had applied to some jobs and it was like, oh, no, you, we only have men in this work, in this field. And it's like, really? Even as, as a muralist, I almost wasn't hired um, because, and and um, the man that was hiring me said, you know, I almost didn't hire you because I didn't think you could cut it. I ended up doing the the project, becoming the coordinator and becoming the art director uh, for another 10 years. Um, it, it was because he saw me as a woman not able to use power tools and not able to run an aerial lift and do the, you know, the physical work that's involved in, in um, being a muralist. And uh, so I think every woman can kind of relate to some sort of uh you know uh 
like hopefully less now than when I was growing up. <laughs> um, but I think every woman can relate to uh, feeling, you know, obstacles. And I think it, it was encouraging to read her story and so amazed at, you know, here's a woman that not only was it her gender that was holding her back in so many circumstances, but her her race and her um, era that she was living in, like, Mm-hmm. Just knowing that it was it was uh, now I'm babbling. Sorry, <laughs> not, not not I was yeah yeah. So basically, I was very inspired by her story. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's I think it's really important that we consider the sculpture in the light of many contemporary conversations that are going on about. You know, who are the people after whom we're naming streets? Who are the people after whom we're naming schools? Who are the people Mm -hmm. after whom we're naming parks? Who's being ignored? Who's being left out? Who's being represented? And as I've said in the past a few times to those who know me or who have read it in print, um, you know, the names that we value and the names we lift up indicate, you know, what we actually believe in as a society. So. I'm really happy to see greater representation in our public art. I'm happy that you were the sculptor to do this. I mean, I want to give you credit for taking this project on and just being relentless in searching for someone to fund it and to make it a reality and then going about it in the right way, doing your research, doing your homework, getting the approval of family members like myself and many others, um, actually uh, you know, taking stock of, of what her dress would have looked like, not only based on a woman of her era, but a woman of her upbringing and her particular Quaker education and her belief system, you know, all of that stuff that you did to make this really a stellar project, which it is. Donna, Maine, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Uh, no, just... Um... I hope in some way that the sculpture uh, inspires others, um, and uh, I, I know it, it, it has based on um, the coverage it's gotten in the paper. Um, men and women of all races have been inspired by her, and uh, like I said, uh, I'm so thrilled to be part of this project, to have... Uh, like you said, you so eloquently put, I, I was relentless and unashamedly so because uh, I really felt strongly about this project. Um, and uh, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm just happy that it's it's done and uh, it's getting such wonderful feedback. And that's excellent. Thank you so much. And while this is a Black History-specific podcast, I do want to say Donna Jean Maine is currently working on a sculpture of the great Rosalie Trombley, who was the music director for CKLW, the Big H, a, a major radio station here in Windsor, Ontario, that was broadcast across, really, the American Midwest and far beyond due to the incredible strength of its signal. And, and Rosalie Trombley, known as the girl, uh, with the golden ear was uh, an incredible talent. I mean, she could have been an amazing A&R executive for a record company or something, but through her work at the radio station, she actually 
uh, made a lot of artists and bands famous and gave them their first craft at uh, wide-scale celebrities. So we're so thrilled that, that here in Windsor, we're so thrilled that you're working on a sculpture of that great woman. And I just see that, you know, by the end of your career, there might be a landscape dotted with sculptures of great women. <laughs> yeah, bless my goal. I'm going to try and level the playing field as best I can. Because, like I like, you know, we said uh, we got to draw attention to the other half of the stories, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, looking forward to that sculpture. When will that one be ready? Well, it, I, that's another thing. Uh, sponsorship still is in the making. Uh, we we haven't found anything yet. Anybody yet? Uh, so I'm pushing for that. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for. For everything, Irene, I really appreciate your um, guidance throughout this uh, as far as uh, an education. You were a wonderful resource to have um, as far as uh, my ability to learn more about uh, Marianne Shad and um, the history. I really appreciate your your uh, tutelage. <laughs> well, thank you, and you are appreciated by all of us as well. So I guess that's enough of me taking over this podcast. I'm going to turn it back over to the actual host. Okay, (laughs) thank you. The floor is yours. (laughs) Okay, I want to thank both of you um, for doing the great work that you do. Um, I'm going to edit the show and make it more than likely two two separate shows, and I'll include a bit from both of your interviews on each other's um, show. Sounds good. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sorry for the babble. <laughs> okay. No, no babbling. The babbling was detected. <laughs> All right. And I'll okay. send you links once once I'm done with the edit. I'll send both of you uh, a link to your shows. That would be wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much for including me. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Take right. care. Bye bye. Happy Victoria Day, Donna. Bye. Thank you, and you too. Bye bye. You give us a little bit of that before you hang up. What is Victoria Day? Oh, okay. It is my great pleasure to talk about Victoria Day. So, as you know, Canada, well, as you probably know, Canada achieved confederation or independence from Britain in 1867. Um, We didn't have a war to get our independence. We did what Canadians do. (laughs) Sounds like I'm bashing other people. We did what Canadians Canadians do, and we politely went to our colonial uh, power and told them that we would like to be on our own and asked for their permission and guidance to do so. <laughs> Probably apologizing <laughs> at the time. But in, but in seriousness, uh, so in 1867, the British North America Act was uh, passed in the UK legislature. Canada became its own independent nation, the Dominion of Canada. The uh, monarch who signed off on that legislation was, of course, Queen Victoria, who was well into her incredible tenure as our monarch. And, you know, we, we remain uh, a dominion, an independent dominion with great ties to Britain, of course. We continue to have a lieutenant governor in every province and a governor general at the national level who represent the queen and and actually uh, call elections, uh, sign off on all of our legislation, although I don't know that they ever really decline it, um, and and certainly hand out all of our major national awards and things like that. So on uh, the 
third, no, on the fourth Monday in May every year, we celebrate Victoria Day. So this for us is a fabulous long weekend, and there will be lots of fireworks and barbecues and family reunions and people opening up their pools and all of those important things that Canadians love to do, lots of camping and cottage time, and we are just so thrilled uh, to finally somewhat out of the pandemic and able to have proper gatherings again. So lots of people are hanging out for the first time this Victoria Day in a way they haven't the last couple of years, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much for that explanation. Canada should be very proud to have you as a citizen. Oh, thank you. America should be very proud to have you. For sure. Enjoy your holiday, and I'll talk to you uh, ladies later. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Leslie Gist, and we have a wonderful uh, activist, lobbyist, um, on the line. She is a historian out of Canada. Her name is Miss Irene Moore-Davis. Well, thank you, Leslie. My name is Irene Morgan Davis. I'm from Windsor, Ontario, on the traditional territories of the three fire confederacies of First Nations, the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi. And we recognize the longstanding presence of the Huron-Wendat peoples here as well. I am a descendant of the Shad family, a family of abolitionists who moved to Canada from the U.S. in the 1850s. I am also the daughter of a sixth-generation Underground Railroad descendant and an Afro-Caribbean immigrant. Um, so it was basically a case where Marianne made the decision um, to come to um, the North American Colored Convention in Toronto at St. Lawrence Hall in 1851. She had already been heavily engaged in the anti-slavery movement. She was a young woman in her 20s at this point. Um, she had been teaching and writing and lecturing and engaging in all forms of activism related to not only the end, you know, ending slavery, but also really focusing on um, finding ways for people of African descent, even if they were free people of color, to get to a place where they could seek their rights, uh, have protection from the kind of oppression and harassment they were experiencing under the Black uh, Codes and certainly under the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850. She wrote to her brother from Toronto, wrote to her brother Isaac, um, on September 16, 1851, and said, basically, I've been in Toronto, I attended the convention, I really like it here, I think this is the place to be, I'm paraphrasing, of course, and I'm going to stay here, I'm going to head down to Sandwich and uh, establish myself there, and I would encourage you to do the same. And so she set up this uh, integrated school, um, and she taught children during the day, she taught adults at night, she became very busy, became very involved in setting up the local anti-slavery society here in Windsor, and became a pretty prominent speaker around here. She was already widely known in the anti-slavery movement, but she started to really make a name for herself here in Canada. And where she set up the school is actually on what is now the footprint of our uh, current City Hall Square in Windsor. So close to City Hall Square, if you're ever in Windsor, Ontario, you'll see that there is a plaque about her. Um, you'll also see that about two blocks south of City Hall Square, there's a rather magnificent mural called the Reaching Out Mural on which she is one of the six uh, featured uh, historical figures 
uh, pertaining to Black history in Windsor. And that mural was actually uh, created by the artist to whom we'll be speaking a little bit later, Donna Maine, an interesting story. So where Marianne set up that incredible school was in the abandoned military barracks that had been left behind um, after the Fenian raids and the 1837-1838 rebellion, or what I think Americans call the Patriot uh, Rebellion, Patriot War. And uh, that was basically a refugee reception center that the people of Windsor had established to house temporarily um, and provide services to, basic services to, refugees from American chattel slavery, you know, in the wake of the fugitive slave law in the U.S. And Marianne Shad provided a lot of services beyond just teaching school. Um, but she was really, really committed to helping people become self-reliant. She also decided that she was going to publish a booklet, and she did that. It was called A Plea for Emigration, and it was designed really to get into the hands of people in the United States who were trying to figure out where to go or where best to direct or recommend uh, that formerly uh, enslaved people make their way to be safe and to be secure. Keep in mind, uh, Canada West at that point, or what's now Ontario, did offer people legal freedom once they crossed the border. It wasn't necessarily an ideal situation, and it's not to say that there wasn't racism uh, of a major nature. People, once they got here, um, were able to be free and to be secure that the government would not return them to slavery, um, even though there were slave catchers who, on occasion, would make their way across the border to look for people and try to drag them back. What I would say about Marianne is that she uh, went ahead and published this remarkable work that is really an important uh, piece of literature um, among early Canadian women writers, not even just focusing on black uh, writers. It was something that really explained to Americans why they should come to Canada West, what the climate was like here, what the social climate was like here, what kind of crops would grow here, what you needed to know to make a go of it here how best to uh, defend yourself against racism or segregation or things of that nature. So it was an incredibly important work and widely circulated. And, you know, she then went on um, to start up a newspaper, establish her own narrative and control the way that she and the people working with her and her overall philosophy were conveyed was to establish her own newspaper. So she did that. She established the Provincial Freeman in 1853 here in Windsor. And when she did so, she became the first woman in all of Canada and the first black woman in North America to edit and publish a newspaper and encourage other women to get into publishing. So that was pretty remarkable. And then she, you know, she headed up to Toronto and ran the newspaper there. There were uh, a lot of things that she felt she needed to do in Toronto, which was becoming more the hub of things and which was our provincial seat of power, as it still is our provincial capital now. And she then uh, married Thomas Carey, who was a pretty noted anti-slavery activist and business person uh, of African descent in Toronto. And um, unfortunately, he died pretty soon after they had had their first uh, two children, her only two children. So she moved back down to Chatham where her uh, father and mother and many of her siblings were now living. 
and published the newspaper from Chatham for a time. And, you know, her story doesn't end there. I mean, Marianne Shad eventually, like a lot of the anti-slavery activists and luminaries who came to this province at the height of the Underground Railroad era, Marianne Shad decided to return to the U.S. She became involved in Civil War recruitment. Martin Delaney encouraged her to become a Civil War recruiter, helping to get people uh, charged up about joining the Union Army effort. So she did that primarily in Indiana. And that was an incredible thing for a black woman to be doing, traveling around, um, encouraging people to join in the Union Army effort. She taught school again for a while. She became a principal. She was, by this point, living in Washington, D.C., and decided to go to law school. So she became the first woman to enroll in the law school at Howard. Um, Some health issues and some other issues prevented her from completing Um, completing that uh, degree quite as quickly as she had wished. So another woman actually graduated ahead of her. But um, there were some issues with uh, her diploma or degree being kind of withheld from her. Um, And so when she did finally uh, get the degree, one of the first things she did was to sue Howard University for having (laughs) having degree on the basis of sex discrimination. Wow. And she was incredible. And I mean, she, she went on to do all kinds of incredible things. She became a very noted women's suffragist. She organized an organization of women who were, you know, black women who were interested in investing. Um, I mean, think about that. That's just incredible in the 19th century so that they could be independent and have their own wealth and not be reliant on men. Um, for their financial freedom. I mean, she was just an incredible person, this attorney, former newspaper publisher, uh, just incredible civic leader, um, teacher, uh, author, speaker, all of that stuff. That is the story of Marianne Shad Carey. So how do we remember her now? Well, October 9th, uh, 2023 will be an important time. We'll be looking at her bicentennial, and there are things that are happening all over North America in 2023 to mark um, Marianne Shadsbury's bicentennial. I would say that she has a federal historic plaque here in Canada in Chatham. She has a beautiful bus, bronze bus, in the BME Freedom Park in Chatham, Ontario, which was created by the great African-American sculptor. Um, artist Lane, who is also a Shad descendant. Um, she has been featured in our incredible um, Canadian History Moment commercials that our federal government puts out there so that people learn about history. She's been the subject of numerous plays, including Things My Four Sisters Saw by Leslie McCurdy. And last week, just last week, she had a beautiful full-length, full-size uh, bronze bust sorry, bronze sculpture um, installed and unveiled at the University of Windsor. And that was by the amazing sculptor Donna Maine. to help Jessica Osborne, Perry, her cousin, and um, Henry Bibbs. Yeah, so Osborne, Osborne Perry Anderson was uh, a relative, and he, he also, uh, once he made his way to Canada West, became a printer at the Provincial Freeman. Um, working under her in Chatham. And, of course, we all remember Osborne for having 
participated in the raid on Harper's Ferry and written that incredible autobiography about his experiences and just being an incredible anti-slavery activist in his own right. And, and as, as I'm sure most of your listeners will know, Henry Bibb was a formerly enslaved person from Kentucky who made numerous attempts to escape, finally made his way to Detroit successfully, learned to read and write. He had always been a brilliant man, but now he had the gift of literacy. He became a noted anti-slavery activist, orator, writer, published his autobiography, pretty incredible work. Married Mary Miles, who was a person of African descent, who'd been born a free uh, person of African descent in Rhode Island. She was also an anti-slavery activist. They decided after the 1850s of Slave Act that they needed to cross over to Sandwich, where they immediately did a bunch of incredible things like setting up a school, starting their newspaper, The Voice of the Fugitive, setting up some anti-slavery conventions of pretty uh, significant, uh, you know, uh, value and and certainly becoming the administrators of the Refugee Home Society. So they became as well persons of national historic significance, just like Marianne Shad is a person of national historic significance. Okay. In closing, I just want to encourage everybody to look up Marianne Shad Cherry, look up Marianne Shad Cherry or Marianne Shad. Um, she was an incredible person. She's someone well worth knowing about. I think that she is someone that I hope every uh, school child uh, should be learning about if they're learning about black history. We have a tendency to focus on the same people again and again and again, but there are so many fantastic stories to tell. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Happy Victoria Day, Donna. Bye. Thank you. And you too. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.